Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about rejection. I was talking about rejection in the context of people rejecting God. That it really isn't a matter of God rejecting people. He, he doesn't reject people. What he does is he acknowledges the rejection that other people have towards him. People reject him because they don't want to believe that he exists. People reject him because if they do believe that he exists, they don't want to believe what he has had to say. They don't want to believe in what he has truly done. They reject him because they don't believe him, even if they acknowledge and believe in his existence. If they don't believe in what he said and what he has done, then that is another form of rejection. And so when it comes to the subject of rejection, did God reject people? Did he not reject people? Is he rejecting people now or not? Does sending people to hell qualify as God rejecting people? And of course not. It has nothing to do with rejection. It has to do with him recognizing and acknowledging that people made a choice, a decision to reject him. And he respects that choice in one way. He is just in another way. And because of this, he does follow through with decisions relevant to the subject of acceptance and rejection, salvation, eternal life, or eternal hell, eternal death, whatever it may be. However, he makes his decisions and whatever the final outcomes really are, I want you to understand that it is not a matter of him rejecting anyone. Now, in the previous program, I was talking about Israel. I was talking about what he accomplished through Israel with respect to answering the question of do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil or not? This question was raised in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve, and it was finally answered through God's interaction with the children of Israel, with the nation of Israel. Now, he also used them in other ways. He used the nation of Israel in order to establish the prophecies and the foreshadowings that have now been revealed. He used them in order to bring about what we now see as the new covenant. Now, what I want you to consider is today, just for a minute, consider the modern context today. We presently have a nation of Israel. We have a people who are back in the land, who have been restored to the land. They have come from all over the world and they have established a country. And this country has been functioning for a few generations now. And I believe that it is obvious, it is very clear that this is something, this is a nation that is here to stay and that this people are going to continue until the end of time. It's my belief that the evidence is overwhelming to show that these people are not leaving, that they're going to be there and that nation will be there until the living God brings this present world to an end. That's what I believe. I really believe that they are there to stay. I believe that this is the fulfillment of prophecy. When he said that he would return them to the land, they're there. And they're not going to leave again. 
He did say before that if they violated the law, he would kick them out of the land, and he has done that a few times. But this time, I believe the prophecy is clear to say that this time he's not going to do it. No matter how much they violate his law, if they do that, no matter how evil they become, he's going to keep them there this time. So I believe that the nation of Israel today exists because of the divine intervention of God. And I personally believe that God will continue to intervene in a divine way to ensure that they remain there. That's what I personally believe. Now, of course, I am not a prophet, and so I'm not going to be able to tell you that thus saith the Lord that this is exactly how it's going to turn out. So if everyone leaves Israel, abandons it, goes out into the other nations, and then perhaps two or three hundred years later they come back again, this is not... This is not what I'm trying to resolve. I am not going to get into those kinds of discussions. It's just simply my belief, based on my understanding of the scriptures, that God has intervened at this time in history in order to reestablish the nation, and that he has done this, and he's going to keep these people right where they are. Now, why would he do that? I mean, why would he intervene in this way in the lives of these people, especially these people? These are people who reject Jesus. There are, of course, some exceptions, just like in the nation of Israel during the time of Elijah, there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. So also today, there are definitely people there who believe in Jesus. However, as a nation, as a country, as a people, according to the way they have their laws and the way that their society functions and operates, this is a society who rejects Jesus, overall. And when comparing the Israelites who believed or who bent the knee to Baal with these Israelites today who will not bend the knee to Jesus, I almost have to wonder, is God really involved or not? Is he the one who really established this nation? And is he the one who will keep this nation going, a people who reject his Messiah? And I believe absolutely, without question. Let me give you some simple examples. Consider Pharaoh in Egypt. God raised up Pharaoh. He raised up Pharaoh for the purpose of giving Pharaoh the opportunity to acknowledge him as the living God willingly, or he would do it through the destruction that God would cause through the plagues of Egypt, and then the Egyptians would be so beaten down that they would then let the Israelites go. He raised up Pharaoh for that purpose. Now, was Pharaoh in favor of God? No, he wasn't. He wasn't in favor of God. He wanted to keep the people as slaves. He enjoyed having all of those bricks made. And what do you suppose he did with those bricks? He built cities with those bricks. He built pyramids with those bricks. Where do you suppose those pyramids came from? They came from the Israelites. The Israelites built those things. So you have to consider very carefully what it means for God to be involved, what it means for him to intervene, and what it means for him to divinely bless someone. He blessed Pharaoh, he blessed Egypt, and the blessings that they experienced were at the expense of slaves, the Israelites who were slaves. Sometimes people forget these things, but they were the ones who made the bricks. And what do you think they did with those bricks? They built a lot of stuff with those bricks. And many of those buildings that the Israelites built with their slavery exist to this day. What about the nations that came down and destroyed Israel? 
What about the Assyrians that came down from the north and took the tribes of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, up to the north in captivity? In slavery, they became recognized or known as the lost tribes of Israel. What about what about those people? What about that army? What about that king who came down? And then what about the Babylonians who came after them, who came and took the rest of the people, the other tribes, into the north as slaves? What about those kings? Were they holy? Were they righteous? Absolutely not. But God raised up those kings, and he used those kings in order to pass judgment against the nation of Israel. So if God intervenes in the lives of people, and he blessed the Assyrians, he blessed the Babylonians, giving them the land of Israel, and conquering and killing, destroying So many people and their lives there in Israel. If he did that for them, do we look at the Assyrians in that way and say, we definitely need to support the Assyrians. We definitely need to support the Babylonians. If you were alive during that time, during the time when Israel was separated, divided in two, after the death of Solomon, where you had the tribes dividing, and then there was war and there was slavery, would you have been in favor of the invading armies to say that they are holy, that they are righteous, that God is with them, and so we need to be with them too. Otherwise, we might be against God. No, absolutely not. Certainly, you may be against the judgment of God, but it doesn't mean you have to be a part of it. It doesn't mean that you have to support it. You don't have to support the murder of people just because God is involved, just because he is participating in order to execute a divine judgment. You don't have to participate in everything that God is participating in. When the Israelites were enslaved by Pharaoh, if you were alive during that time, would you say, this is the act of God, this is what God is doing, he is raising up Pharaoh, and yes, I understand that slavery is hard, but this is God's will for your life, and so let's support it. Let's encourage it. Let's find some ways to make it more stable. We'll make it work better. We'll make sure that the Israelites have no chance of leaving under any circumstances. Is that the sort of thing that you would be involved in, that you would do? What about today, in modern times? He has established the nation of Israel, and this nation was established through war. Now, the land was promised to two different groups of people. That's what happened, was that the land was promised to two different groups of people, and then they had to fight with each other in order to establish their claim to the land. And of course, whoever won was the one who was able to assert their claim. It was promised to the Jews and it was promised to the Arabs in order to get their support during World War II. And when the war was won, they had to fight it out with each other to figure out who was actually going to take possession. In this case, the Jews won and they established the nation of Israel through that. But does this mean, because God has intervened and he has accomplished this, that you should be involved in the war? I don't think so. Now, if God instructed me personally, if he told me to get on an airplane or to get on a boat and go over and fight to do that in that land, in that country, in that nation, I would do it. And if he told you to do that, you should do it too, but not because you see the hand of God moving in people's lives. You do those kinds of things because God tells you to do those kinds of things. Not because you want to be involved in something that he is involved in, because you don't understand the full picture. You don't understand all that he is accomplishing. And there have been times in history when he has 
blessed people in a way that they have done evil things for other purposes. Now, I do not pass judgment on God because he supports murder and he supports slavery. I don't pass judgment on him because of those things, because I know what he is accomplishing through these things. He is, of course, accomplishing something entirely different than what everybody else wants to accomplish. He wants to bring about new opportunities for people to embrace the gospel. And I believe that what he is doing in the land of Israel today is something that will provide people with a new opportunity to embrace the gospel. There are many people who have turned to him because of the prophetic descriptions about the return of the Jews to the land of Israel. Because of that, a lot of people have been inspired to study the scriptures. They have been inspired to turn to him. And their relationship with God has been built because of that initial inspiration. And so I believe that God is using them, but that my role, my personal role, has nothing to do with the political issues or the economic issues or the military issues or whatever. My role is nothing more than to continue to communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus to make use of the opportunities that he has provided through his involvement and through his participation in the lives of people who don't accept him, who do reject him, that he still participates in their lives in a way to provide new opportunities to prepare works for us as his people, as his children to walk in. And that's what we do. That's what I do. I walk in the new opportunities. Now today, in the land of Israel... You need to understand that it's very, very difficult for people to believe in Jesus. It's very difficult. If they're really going to believe in him, if they're really going to embrace him, and if they are going to share what they believe with other people, then it is going to affect their lives in a very profound way. It's very difficult. The entire nation, for the most part, is anti-Jesus. That's the way that that society is structured. So when we look at Israel and we wonder, well, what should our participation be? Well, to me, it can very easily be similar to our participating with Pharaoh. It could be very similar to our participating with the Assyrians or with the Babylonians because of their persecution of those who believe in Jesus, because of their opposition to those who believe in Jesus, because of the obstacles that they put in place to prevent the gospel from going out to people who really want to know their God. I think it's very important to at least understand that and to realize that just because God is definitely involved in a divine way, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to participate in the ways that many people are. You know, I've witnessed a lot of people over the years giving money, giving time, giving all kinds of resources to the country of Israel. And, of course, if the Lord leads them to do that, then they should do that. But there's one thing that I have noticed that is really lacking. One thing that is definitely missing when people think about blessing Israel. And that is the gospel. The gospel, for the most part, tends to be totally excluded from what people are participating in. They don't mind giving hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of their dollars to the Temple Institute in order to set it up in its sacrificial system. They don't mind doing that. But when it comes to providing someone with resources so that they can share the gospel with those people, not a penny, not even a thought to do so. I have witnessed this personally for many years, that there has been an abundance 
of gifts, an abundance of contributions, of donations towards things, towards projects that not only have nothing to do with the gospel, but are against the gospel, are anti-gospel, are anti-Jesus. People will do that because they want God to bless them in return, supposedly with the promise that was given to Abraham when God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And they think, well, as long as we bless them, then God will bless us in return. He was talking about the Messiah. That's what he was talking about. He fulfilled that through Jesus. And you're not willing to bless them with Jesus. Instead, you take resources that could have been used for the perpetuation of the gospel of the Messiah and you use it for things that have nothing to do with the Messiah and that are opposed to the Messiah. That, to me, seems a little peculiar. Now, if the Lord directs you to do that, then, of course, do that. But if he doesn't direct you to do that, then think about that a little bit. Think about the implications of that. Never forget... Ever, never, ever forget that we are here for the purpose of sharing Jesus with everyone. The Jew and the Gentile. The Gentile and the Jew. The Israelite and the non-Israelite. No matter who. No matter where they are. No matter what God is doing. No matter what. We are here for the perpetuation of the gospel. And anything that we do that has nothing to do with that had better be directed by God himself. Otherwise, it is not only a waste, it is, in my opinion, against the gospel. If it's not for it, it's against it. And so I just wanted to take some time to talk about this with a little bit more detail, because in Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, it's very easy to forget about these things. Because he talks about rejection and acceptance and whether people bend their knee to God or not. And that God reserves people for himself. And that it's according to God's gracious choice and not according to works. That it's all about God discriminating between people, between those who want to know him and those who don't want to know him. And sometimes it's difficult for us to stay focused on these things because we get lost in his divine participation that he is involved in in the lives of people during our time. And so I really wanted to mention that. Now, in Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 6, it says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Well, of course, grace has to do with his graciousness. It has to do with what he is graciously giving to us. That is his grace. And what is he giving to us? To say that it is his grace is not enough. You have to say what he is graciously giving. What is his grace about? What does it represent? What is he presenting? It is mercy. The mercy of God according to forgiveness that he executed through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. That is what he has graciously given. He has given forgiveness and he has also given the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam to anyone who is willing to receive it. And through the restoration of the Holy Spirit, people can be saved from their condition of being spiritually dead. And when they are saved from that condition, when they are saved through the resurrection, then they are made into a child of God. They are recreated into a new creation, a child of the living God who then has a place among the living in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is definitely not by works. 
Absolutely not. It is only by his gracious gift. Why was he gracious? Well, because there was no alternative. You're never going to be able to go before God and say, look what I have done. Look what I have not done. And because of my works, I have a place in your kingdom. Because of my works, you should show me who you are. Open your heart to me and show me the inner depths of your being. Illuminate to me who you are as a person. Why? Because I'm so awesome. No, that is not real. That is total, absolute fantasy. Now, he mentions this because he's going to talk about Israel. In verse 7, what then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened? Now, you got to understand something, and that is what people are looking for is not necessarily what you think they're looking for. He spent a lot of time in Romans chapter 10 talking about the subject of righteousness, that we can have righteousness with God, that we are righteous because of what he did, not because of what we have done. Again, here he mentions the subject of works or grace and that our righteousness is by grace and not by works. But did Israel really want righteousness? I mean, is that what the people were really after? Did they really want to be right with God? Not exactly. You have to ask why did they want to be right with God? There is a difference between righteousness in the Old Covenant and righteousness in the New Covenant. There is a difference between the righteousness that some people were pursuing and the righteousness that other people obtained. There's a big difference between the two. And so in verse 7, when he says, What then, what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it? You have to be careful, because what people were really looking to obtain was not necessarily the exact same thing. When it comes to the overall view of righteousness, yes. But when it comes to the purpose of righteousness, when it comes to the value of righteousness, no, there is a difference. So I want you to understand that, yes, it is true that Israel did not obtain righteousness, and the Gentiles did. That is true. But what they were seeking were two different things. And this is what I want you to understand, that the Israelites were not seeking a knowledge of God, and the Gentiles were. They both were seeking righteousness, but they were seeking righteousness for two different reasons. That's what I want you to see, that the Gentiles certainly did obtain righteousness. Some of the Israelites did, according to the gospel. But the reason why the Israelites did not obtain righteousness, as he describes here, is because they wanted the blessings of the law. They wanted the blessings of righteousness. They wanted God to intervene in their lives and bless their flesh because of their righteousness. The true people of God, the true children of God, do not turn to him for his blessings. They don't turn to him so that he'll bless their flesh. The true people of God turn to him because they want to know him. They want to be right with God so that he will reveal himself to them so that they might know who he is. The people who obtain righteousness according to the gospel do that so that they may know him. The people who tried to obtain righteousness through the law, they pursued righteousness not because they wanted to know him. They pursued righteousness because they wanted the blessings of the law. Now, today it's very similar in a lot of Christian circles, in a lot of Christian churches and stuff. I understand that. I have encountered a lot of people 
who claim to believe in Jesus, who claim to believe the gospel, and they also are looking for righteousness for the purpose of being blessed in their flesh. I know that, I understand that. And in that way, I do see a lot of similarities between a lot of Christians today, or people who esteem to be Christians, and the Israelites during the time of the Lord Jesus who rejected Jesus. I see a lot of similarities because the righteousness that people are looking to obtain is a righteousness that will get God to respond to them and give them an abundance of stuff so that they can enjoy their flesh. But there is something entirely different that the people back then and throughout history were able to obtain in a small way that we today are able to obtain in a greater way, and that is a righteousness by faith, not by works. And through that, God will reveal himself. He has revealed himself to people to the extent that he could. Now, with Abraham, for example... Abraham believed God, he obtained righteousness because he believed God, and God revealed some things about himself to Abraham, spoke to Abraham as a friend. Moses as well spoke to Moses as a friend in the tent of meeting outside of the camp of Israel. But today, through the resurrection and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, he can reveal much more to us. We have a greater opportunity to know our God than the people did back then. But the righteousness that people arrived at or that they achieved by faith is the same righteousness that we achieve by faith today. And the righteousness that people pursued by their works back then is the same righteousness that people are pursuing in their works today. But what are people really wanting to obtain? Not the righteousness. They're really wanting to obtain something else. And that's why I believe Romans chapter 11, verse 7, can sometimes be a little bit deceiving. Sometimes. Because it says, What then? What Israel is seeking it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Well, the rest were hardened. They did not obtain it, because what they were looking for was another benefit to righteousness than what he really wanted to offer. So, yes, there were people who obtained righteousness by grace, but that's only because they were truly looking for what that would lead them to. And that's the distinction that divides between those who will be hardened to God as a person and those who will have a relationship with him as a person. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net